Only a 12th level intellect has the slightest hope of surviving what you are about to experience. get like a bunch of uh like batman toys and stuff for christmas was that yeah there was um i i would get, i don't remember christmas specifically but that does remind me of a story i may or may not have told you uh, uh a birthday party i had it like a Chuck E. cheeses and i was you know five or six and had all my whatever preschool friends or whatever over at the party there was like 20 kids there with me I, I, I may be I, this may be an exaggeration because probably. I was a tiny I, child. I don't believe and there's you probably had that many, not that many people. Yeah. Uh, thank well, you, thank you. Probably that's like why. Three that's people. why. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and if you count uh, Chuck E. Cheese, right, right. You know, he was there. He was my pal. Um, yeah, so you, you're one pal. <laughs> so I'm opening. I'm opening presents, and I distinctly remember I, I opened this Batman action figure. Oh, cool. Thank you. And I passed it along. I, I opened this toy. Oh, cool. Thank you. And then I opened a one that was a it was like a like a 90s era arc what's his name uh it's a batman it was when the other guy became batman i don't remember this you know the, the other guy no <laughs> in the <laughs> comics when when it's oh. not batman oh anymore. yeah yeah uh Bruce Wayne. Um, yeah 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 jean paul jean paul valley sure Whatever. yeah Ezreal. When yeah, I, as, and I got I had I got that an action figure of that that I but I already had that action figure and so all these previous presents I had been going oh yeah thank you thank you and this one I just went oh and then passed it along <laughs> and apparently the kid you. that gave it to me started crying and I but I don't remember this <laughs> and my parents had this like really long conversation with me about like you can't do that that's very disrespectful <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> which yeah I, I mean I apparently I still feel bad about it <laughs> yeah 22 <laughs> years later that's crazy <laughs> yeah I I definitely had like a few Christmases where I'd be like oh my god it's a bat cave or it's a batmobile yeah. or it's like Tim Drake Robin you can never find that in the stores and that's yeah. That's fun. My, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like buying finding, finding buying Christmas stuff. presents for my little kid cousin. I just went with that. Like, what's something that he vaguely will enjoy? Because I know my present won't be like the present that he will love. So it doesn't matter as long as it's something that I that the parents understand that I <laughs> put any th- amount of thought right, into. Right, right. <laughs> he'll just find that he'll just keep that one present. <laughs> well, is that a good intro, Ted? Are you that's satisfied? That's a great intro. That? Okay. Yeah. Welcome to Twelfth Level Intellects, everybody. <laughs> Uh, this is a DC Animated Universe podcast hosted by the Watchtower Database. I'm James Strecker, and this and young, handsome man oh. on the screen before me is named... Who nobody else can see because it's an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? Ted Kendrick. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was really worried for a second that I had never met you before. I mean, really, I haven't technically. It's only but... episode seven of our podcast. Is it really? I think so. That's actually farther in than I assumed we were, and I'm the one that writes the numbers on the things. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't. We have a different episode than normal today. Uh, we have a. We interviewed uh, Batman Adventures editor Scott Peterson a couple months ago, and uh, we finally have that ready for your ear holes. <laughs> it's taken me a while, amongst other projects, to get that going. 
Um, it may or may not be longer episode than normal. You can look at the time code right now and figure that out for yourself. Uh, it's it's a it's a pretty fun conversation we had with them, though. I I would subtitle the conversation uh, is Scott Peterson, uh, aka the man that gives more praise to other people than himself. <laughs> so, uh-huh. That's <laughs> I think, humble. Uh, That's good. Dude. Yeah. And, no, he's a good guy. He, it was, he was really fun to talk to, and he seemed yeah. like he was genuinely interested in, in everything, every question we had for him and stuff. So yeah. that's always nice. And he was there at the DC Comics offices at a really interesting time. Yeah. So he had a lot of cool stories about uh, people he was working with, like legends in the comic book industry who yeah uh, were just so human to him. Like They would go out for lunches and stuff. So... So it's a good conversation. Yes, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed listening to it another 20 times while editing it. (laughs) If, Scott, if you're listening to this, that you might be, since I'm going to send you the link, thank you for talking with us, us measly little people that mean nothing, (laughs) and get 500 views on their podcast every time. But whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's still 500 more people than... I would expect to listen to us babble on about <laughs> nothing. Babble on for three five, hours you know? or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> is. Well, let's try to keep that quicker. You had a couple of things, new, news ish things. There's some yeah. stuff in the news. So, um, first of all, we've got a Teen Titans live action show coming to DC's upcoming streaming app. Um, don't know what that app is going to be called yet, but it's going to be coming out sometime yeah. in 2018. Um, but the Teen Titans live show is produced by Greg Berlanti, the same guy who does Arrow, Flash, uh, Supergirl, Black Lightning, all those sort of things. And it's mm-hmm. going to be, I mean, it looks great. They've been releasing some promo images yeah, the of Robin the main characters. Yeah, Robin and Hawk and Dev. Yeah, so great, far. Yeah. But I think we also have Beast Boy, Starfire, and Raven who are part of the team. So we're going to be probably oh. seeing them soon. Oh, yeah. I've seen the casting shenanigans mm-hmm. around starfire where everyone's freaking out about ethnicity oh, yeah. and it's like it doesn't matter you've never seen what she, right <laughs> she's orange she's, she's an alien yeah. yeah it's i mean it's like no different than uh gamora and guardians of the galaxy like right yeah you yeah. know she's she's a black woman but she's a green woman so well, it's, i don't know yeah it doesn't matter whatever people uh, people gonna peep so yeah um, well, so the, the costumes we've seen so far have been looking awesome, I think. Uh, they're really true mm-hmm. to the characters from the comics. I never thought Hawk and Dove would translate yeah, well to live yeah. action. Is there, the, uh, the, dove, weird. the Dove goggles look a little bit goofy, but that's like the mm-hmm. only aspect. The rest, yeah, it was, I was surprised too that like instead of going the like arrow route of making it like just a barely colored in <laughs> like grungy yeah. kind of weird leather version i mean it's still like a weird leather version but i don't think you'd really be able to do a uh as as true of a recreation without it being like yeah. a material that well, i wouldn't want to see like world. spandex <laughs> yeah no would, you know like this stupid, is much yeah. more armor sort yeah. of um but yeah i think hawk and dove are really interesting choices for the show that i mean they're teen titans uh, in the comics, but we mm-hmm. we saw them like the last time we really saw them featured was in Justice League Unlimited, and it was yeah. the uh, the brother version. So great. There's Hank Hall and Don Hall. Yeah, I wonder if they'll I wonder if they'll do a Don Hall is dead thing, or if it'll just be unspoken and that's just who yeah. Hawk and Dove are. Yeah. Right, right. Well, these this new ones is like they're actually they're not related. So there's a bit of a romance oh, yeah. involved okay. with their um, with their joint powers. So like Hawks kind of. Uh, 
they're powered by the Lords of Order and Chaos, and Hawk's a little more chaotic. Dove is the, mm-hmm. the order that keeps him grounded. So They should yeah. have cast Fred Savage like they did in the cartoon. Oh, yeah. As the girl. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the, what, what, um, this, is, you, this is not set in the CW stuff, right? I as far don't as we know. think so. I mean, Robin's in it. So if anything, it oh, might, yeah, maybe guess. the Supergirl universe, but like that's not confirmed yeah. at all. So it's It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I don't think they'll do it. It would be kind of cool if it was set in the same, in the normal Arrowverse, and then that was mm-hmm. their way to bring in Batman. But it, would be it probably isn't. So No. I bet it has the possibility of uh, becoming a show that crosses over with everything else. So like that and Black Lightning have yeah. potential to be part of the annual CW verse crossover, you know. But we'll yeah. see. Yeah. And uh, and I I did not do any news because I'm a loser, oh. um, but also because. It'll be like two it's and a half weeks before anyone hears this, and I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. But you had you had like a, something else that's not yeah, as timely. One more. Right, right. So Injustice Two, um, that is you know the fighting game done by um, uh, what's I've it heard called? of it. Never Never Realm, I think. <laughs> the people who do yeah, that, I Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Maybe. <laughs> do you have it on console? Are you playing it on yeah. like Xbox, or PlayStation? Which one? Yeah, I have the Xbox One version. Okay. Yes. Cool. Cool. Uh, I heard that it's gonna be like there's a free trial to play it right now on the console oh. like you can you can play it for free i think you only level up to a certain point but yeah it so that's kind of cool that's not my news i was gonna say i play it on mobile i have it on my my yeah, phone you're you've um, always done that <laughs> yeah yeah i played the first one now i'm playing the second one and so they just had a big update uh just a few days ago where they've introduced this uh a league thing so you get to team up with uh, about 20 something other players and is it a is it a justice league it is a justice league but you wow, call it whatever you want yeah wow. <laughs> and so it's a it's a good way to collaborate with other players and try to like get more in-game yeah. points or whatever but so there's that <laughs> that's a new feature there's a bunch of new characters they, they just released like five new characters and it's already cool because they have characters in here like hellboy and yeah um and like <clears throat> the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are coming to the game. Like, that's oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> but so the mobile app already has Hellboy and they have um, like Sub Zero and Raiden from Mortal Kombat. But now this newest update uh, gave them uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern, Power Girl. Oh, cool. um, I'm trying to remember some of Was the Was the others. Adam one of them? Not yet, but he'll be there eventually. Oh, I saw yeah, some I've ad for him, so. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. He, I mean, he's definitely coming to the game, but he's just... They've been, like, releasing him slowly on mobile. Um, they have all the Justice League versions of the characters on there now. Justice League Flash was just added. Oh, um, they got... They they have, like, one main character from all the CW shows. So you can do uh, Arrow, The Flash. Um, they oh, okay. just added Supergirl and White Canary. Did they so. do, like, the voices from the actors? Because I'm pretty sure they did that in the first Injustice. Yeah, thing. they do. Um, it doesn't have a lot of dialogue on the mobile version, oh, but, okay. um, but they are, uh, yeah. The, yeah, I, d- I did the same thing that I end up doing with every game that I buy, which is unfortunate, but uh, is where I, I like... I'm get, I'm getting pretty good at it, and I I play the whole like story mode, mm-hmm. and then I just stop playing it as soon as I beat the game. So yeah. I haven't actually played Injustice unless like friends are over since yeah, cool, it came out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Or Injustice yeah. Two, start just to be specific. The mobile yeah. app is a little different. It's kind of a swipe game, you know. Um, 
but yeah, it's fun. Uh, I guess well, it's time to transition into the main topic. This will be weird because we're just going to say go, and then future James puts the thing in, and then we'll wrap it up immediately <laughs> afterward. Sounds but, good. Uh, so here, here, here's our interview with Scott Peterson. Ready, set, go. Our uh, very special guest today is none other than Scott Peterson, editor of uh, Batman Adventures and writer on an extensive run on uh, Gotham Adventures, as well as many other familiar characters and properties. It's an honor to have you with us tonight, Scott. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm very pleased to be here. That is good. We are pleased to have you here. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. So I guess to get started, um, do you want to tell us how you got started with the comics industry? I was, it was my second senior year of college, and uh, graduation was rapidly approaching and I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with my life. I was in a uh, not very good band and I figured I would try to make a make a go of it with that and probably get a job washing nice. dishes or something like that. And one night my then girlfriend, well it was college so I was pretty heavily inebriated and she got me, <laughs> there you go. she asked me if I could do anything in the entire world, what would I do? To, to not think, to just say it. So I said, the truth, which was the most ridiculous thing I could think of in the whole world. And I said, I would write a Batman story and Jim Apero would draw it. <laughs> nice. And she, and she said, well, how does, how does one make that happen? And I said, well, you know, I know a lot of writers are also editors. Um, so they either start as writers and become editors or start as editors and become writers. And I, she knew uh, that my favorite writers in the world were Alan Moore and Denny O'Neill. So the next day, she found the number for DC Comics, and she called them up to find out how one could get an internship at DC. Nice. And uh, then she wrote them a letter um, pretending to be me. <laughs> and uh, a couple weeks later, I got a call from Bob Rosakis, the vice president in charge of production at DC Comics, offering me an internship. That's some oh, girlfriend. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. And she, was a key, she was a keeper. We have now been married for 25 years. Well, Wonderful. congratulations. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. Did you not know she wrote the letter? You know what? I actually did know she wrote the letter. What happened okay. was we tried to write the letter together, and we got into the only fight we had ever had at that point in time. So she kicked me out and wrote it herself, printed it out, handed it to me, and said, sign this. I signed it. She mailed it off. So... After I'd been an intern for about six weeks in the production department, somebody quit, and Bob Rosakis offered me uh, a full-time job. And after about, whatever it was, three or four months, that turned into a job in, in editorial. But I asked Bob, I said, you know, you must get tons of letters asking for internships. Why did you offer it to me? And he said, it was your letter. That was the best one I'd ever received in 20 years of doing this job. <laughs> Kelly Puckett was Denny O'Neill's assistant editor on the Batman books and mm -hmm. Kelly was quitting to go freelance. So, uh, I found out about it through the grapevine and, uh, gave Denny my resume and we had an interview uh, a few days later, he offered me the job. I was still in production cause Kelly hadn't left to go freelance yet. So about a week later, Dick Giordano, the vice president of editorial comes mm -hmm. back. He had been on vacation and, uh, asked to see me. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. You know, of course he wants to meet the new Batman assistant editor. Dick, obviously, legendary Batman artist. Yeah, this is right, fantastic. Right. And Dick's like, hey, it's nice to meet you. Uh, listen, uh, Denny uh, should not have offered you, that, offered you that job. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he was like, uh, it is nothing personal. 
It's just we're looking for somebody who will be a full-time editor and Denny's assistant editor. Uh, so I'm sorry, we need somebody who already has extensive editorial experience. Uh, I went running back to Bob. I was like, oh, please, can I have my job back? And he just kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, not a problem. Uh, <laughs> nice. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, are you sure Dick Giordano knows about this? He said, yes, Dick Giordano knows about this. But this time, I didn't tell anybody until I'd gotten my first paycheck, just to, just in case. But, but yeah, so uh, that is how I got my got my job. Quite a That's convoluted. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Were you able to follow that okay? Was that clear? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And definitely caught those name drops. Those are a lot of famous bat people. Yes. So tell me, uh, I guess, what some of your most proud moments in that job were. Oh, God. I... Yeah, there are so many, it's insane. It was my first day on the job, and Denny says, taking uh, a freelancer, freelancer to lunch, do you want to come with us? And I'm like, of course I want to come with you. So I'm like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Who is it? And he says, it's, uh, it's Klaus Janssen. I was like, yes, I do. It was fantastic. My first day on, on the job, and I'm going to lunch with, with Danny O'Neill and Klaus Janssen. It was, <laughs> it was one of those things where it just, this has got to be a dream. Yeah. The next day, Denny's like, I'm going out to, to lunch with, with Dick Giordano, uh, Pat Bastian, who is Dick Giordano's assistant and uh, new artist to talk about a, a possible project. Do you want to come? Once again, I'm like, you know what? You, you never have to ask me if I want to come to lunch with you. I will always want to go to lunch with you. And this new artist named Joe Casada. Oh, new artist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was at the time, and it was amazing. Yeah, at lunch, yeah. at one point, Joe said, I have to ask you guys, when does the fear go away? When do you stop being nervous all the time that you're, that you're not going to really be able to make it in the industry? And Dick said, every single time I turn in an issue, I think, well, that's it. That was the last time anyone's ever going to hire me. I had a good run, but clearly it's over. That was it. And Denny, wow. Denny said, I thought it was just me. I thought every time I turn in an issue, I thought, well, they're gonna, this is the time that they're going to figure out I'm a fraud. I don't really know what I'm doing, and no one's ever going to offer me another job. And Joe and I are looking at each other like, oh, my God, if Denny O'Neill and Dick Giordano feel that way, you know, what hope do the rest of us have? <laughs> so is it safe to say that Batman was your favorite superhero as a kid, or was it someone else? I, I loved Superman. I loved Spider-Man. When I was really young, I used to tell people I couldn't decide if my favorites were Flash or Aquaman, because uh, I was one of those little kids who always just had tons of energy. Yeah. Uh, couldn't keep still. But the truth is that I said I liked Flash and Aquaman. I loved them both. But I said I liked them as much as I did because I had really blonde hair as a kid and they both had blonde hair. <laughs> nice. But at the end of the day, it was always Batman. It yeah. really was. I, I love, love the rest. I do. But it was always Batman. That seems to be a pretty common thread. And not to add another question to the like 20 questions, but... Do you? Why do you think that is? Why do you think? I mean, that was my favorite. That was Alan Burnett's favorite. That was everybody's favorite. I'm. <laughs> Denny has, and and by the way, um, I have been told that I have trouble talking about comic books without bringing up Denny O'Neill like every three <laughs> sentences. So you're gonna hear that. No worries. <laughs> A very formative influence uh, in my life. But Denny has has written quite a bit. How. Many of the superheroes, the classic superheroes, especially the DC ones, are archetypes. Uh, you know, as as well as having their their precedence uh, in in Greek gods. You know, Flash being mm -hmm. Hermes and blah blah blah. Right? Batman doesn't fit 
neatly into any one category. He is an amazing amalgamation of so many different influences. And somehow, instead of just being a mishmash, he transcends and has become this unique creation that, that, that rises above, stands on its own. So he's got the elements. He is just human, right? He's not a god. Yeah. He's not an alien. He doesn't have a magic ring or anything like that. I, I love those characters. He is just a human being who, through force of will, has driven himself to be the absolute peak of human perfection, both physically and intellectually, as well as emotionally. Um, he suffered this incredible, horrific tragedy, and he covers it up by either acting like a, a, you know, an airhead ditz playboy as Bruce Wayne, or, of course, nobody knows who he is when he's Batman, and he just very quietly tends to go around in the shadows, saving people's lives and making things better, with never mind not looking for gratitude or thanks, but most people don't even know he's been there. You know, that was the, the Batman that I always loved when I started really getting into comics, into Batman. Loved him when I was a kid. Um, but I'm unusual, I think, in that I didn't actually read comics when I was a teenager. So I actually missed any new comics between roughly 1977, 78, until about 88, I guess, yeah. somewhere in there. There was a point to all this, and I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Some, so, okay, so I'm just going to yeah. jump back and say, not to mention, he looks cooler. He's got the cooler <laughs> costume. And totally comics is cool. such a visual medium <laughs> yeah. that that can't be discounted. How great he looks, including how many great artists have taken a serious run at Batman. And one of the things that's really interesting about Batman is there's more artistic freedom historically for artists to put their stamp on him ever since basically, you know, Neil Adams rejuvenated him uh, in the, you know, in, with Denny in the, in the late sixties. Since then you've had these great artists who again, felt very free to make their Batman their own because he's always, always so recognizably Batman, whether it's the Bruce Timm style, the Dick Sprang style, Frank Miller, Brian Ballin, Jim Lee, Brian Stelfreeze, you know, whomever. You know, you can put a, a Tomo mm -hmm. on Batman, <laughs> and there's never any question of, of that it's the exact same character as Alex Ross's. Most characters have a much, I think, narrower uh, dynamic range visually while remaining unquestionably the same character. Batman, for some reason... You just know instantly. It's, it's almost the way our minds search for patterns where you see, you know, cats freak out over a cucumber because they think it's a snake yes. or something like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I think there's something about the Batman's most basic elements that just our mind recognizes him <clears throat> as Batman in a way that wouldn't necessarily some of the other superheroes. That's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the... Uh... The, uh, you mentioned the Bruce Timm uh, version being, you know, just as iconic as any of the other ones, and and you were involved in that version of Batman from the very beginning, as uh, in the Batman Adventures spinoff comic from the animated series. Uh, can you tell us about your your main duties as editor of that book? Sure. So very early, uh, as Denny's assistant, Kelly Puckett uh, and I overlapped by a couple hours. He trained me for like a couple hours on Friday before he had to go uh, leave for his farewell bash. He's showing me where the various files are. Um, you know, he's given me the rundown. This is what you do. When a script comes in, you log it. You, you know, 
Denny edits it, you know, Mark edited, you know, so on, this is where the pencils go. He sent it to the letterer, sends me, you know, gives me the rundown on basically assistant editing 101 points to this stacks of storyboards piled under his desk and said, those are the storyboards for the new animated show that's that's coming out sometime next year. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. I was like, what do I do with them? He's like, eh, look at them if you want. <laughs> I was like, do we not like have to approve them? He said, I suppose technically we do, but trust me, nobody is going to say, I think you want to redo this one bit. This stuff, there's no point in looking at it. It's good to go. Yeah. Nice. So we would read the scripts when they came in, <laughs> but that really was almost entirely because it was fun out of the how many episodes were there in the original run 160 or whatever there were i recall one time uh talking to them and saying you know what i think we'd like to tweak this one little bit and that was it like literally yeah. 10 seconds out of however many you know out of 70 hours or something <laughs> like that because i think it's pretty safe to say those guys knew what they were doing yeah <laughs> And you know what? That is also something Denny told me again the first week. You, you know, before you pick up the red pen to change something, make sure you're making the change to definitely make it better and not just make it different or the way you would have done it. It's really freaking hard to imagine somehow making a story by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim better. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, officially, I guess we had to approve the stuff. Uh, it, it all came in approved. That was that was that was just a given. So you're talking about directly, like direct involvement with the the cartoon itself. Yeah. So uh, before I came on board, Denny and Kelly had flown out to uh, L.A. and actually met with the uh, with the animated crew to talk about the character, like as the as the show was just getting off the ground. So things were already well on their way when I got in. Again, it was one of my first weeks when Denny and I uh, and Dick were summoned down to Paul Levitz's office, Paul had just gotten the first rough cut of the first episode on Leather Wings. There was no, there were no sound effects. There was no music. So this was going to be the first that any of us, except for Paul, had actually seen any actual animation. I have to admit that at the time when I first saw Bruce's designs, you know, I was in full Miller, Mazza, Kelly, grim and gritty yeah. uh, mode visually. And his designs, I was like, well, they're striking. I don't know. They're they're just a little too cartoony for my tastes right now. You know, I was all about Kelly Jones and, you know, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and that kind of thing. And, and this was just a little too clean and cartoony for me. Paul started the tape and within like the first 10 seconds of seeing Batman move, I was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. This <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. And again, all there was was the animation and dialogue. So it's really, if you've never watched like a cartoon without any music or sound effects, <laughs> it's, it's weird how empty everything is yeah. until oh, somebody sure. talks. And even without those things, like none of us breathed for 22 minutes until the damn thing was <laughs> over. Very nice. Yeah, just right away. It was, you know, the, the, the question was, can they really possibly make another one this good or is this going to be the only one this good obviously not the only one that good so but it was it really was it i i feel like it was clearly a masterpiece from the very first episode from a rough cut of the first episode nice well how early did the batman adventures come into conception like was it um before the episode even premiered before the before on love the rings was even on tv did you start working on the the book <laughs> almost exactly that same time it was early but it was kind of a no-brainer right we should do uh we should do a mini series to capitalize on, you know, to, to tie into this 
to this miniseries. A lot of people thought you should just do adaptations of the episodes, uh, and they handed it to, to me. I've been Denny's assistant for whatever, only like four or five months, but it was probably just going to be, be adaptations. But I had been a fanboy buying comics so recently. One of the things I tried to do was think about like, you know, what would Scott, the college student of six months ago, have thought about this idea, you know? And I would have had no interest in buying an adaptation. I thought, well, why don't we just, you know, why don't we do things set in that world? That's just so much more interesting. It's not like it's going to cost more. We have to pay the writer either way. Got to pay the artist either way. We're not going to just print the storyboards. So it's not saving any money. It's just saving time and effort. But <laughs> that's not a problem. This, this, it'll be more fun, more interesting, better creatively. We weren't allowed to talk to anybody. It, it was so top secret. So my only options were somebody who was already working on the show and at that point, I didn't know Paul Dini or Bruce Tim yet. So, but Kelly Puckett had read all the scripts, been out for a meeting. He'd seen, he'd read the Bible. He'd seen the storyboards and designs. So, and he was now freelance. So I thought, all right, mm -hmm. I'll go with Kelly. Um, Kelly had written like one issue of Detective Comics uh, a few months earlier that, that knocked my socks off. Ty Templeton actually just happened to be in the offices like that day for like an hour. So I ran in and told him he wasn't allowed to leave till he said yes. So he said yes. Rick Burchett was one of my favorite artists. So got him in on ink. Yeah. Rick, Rick Taylor at the time was the assistant production manager and a huge Batman and animated fanboy. And he uh, having him right there, knowing, again, he had all the reference in-house. So he was perfect because he already knew about the stuff. So it all just kind of fell together in that way. It was still just supposed to be a miniseries, but at some point really early on, Paul Levitz happened to see, I don't remember whether they were Ty's pencils to like the first issue, uh, or maybe he was even seeing Rick's inks over Ty's pencil on the first issue, but Paul looked at it and said, wow, this looks really, this looks great. You know what? We should probably make this an ongoing rather than a miniseries. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking right now at my copy of the first uh, Batman Adventures issue, and, and I know that in this and the, all the rest of them, there's a whole like couple pages at the end where it's just you talking about the process and answering questions from fans and things like that. That, that stuff was always almost as interesting or more interesting than the comic itself to read. <laughs> so uh, I, I loved, again, when I was a fan, I freaking <laughs> loved the uh, letters to the editor. I loved yeah. it. It had this sense of community. And as you said, you got these insights into the process. It personalized everything. I, I absolutely love that. And it's always so funny when you're rereading like comics from the, from the 60s or 70s or yeah. sometimes 80s, and you recognize the name of a big pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From when they were, you know, when they when they were they were a fanboy too, and writing into <laughs> rave about whatever. Yeah. love that. Oh, it totally happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you speak to uh, to how Superman uh, appeared in the Batman Adventures in issue number twenty five? So there's an animated version of Superman and Lex Luthor who appear a lot closer to their comic book counterparts at the time. Like Superman has the mullet, and Lex has the the big red haired mane. You know. Um, so well, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what? Um, I guess this this must have been a few years before Superman the animated series started to go into uh, production. Yeah, that was that was before uh, the idea of a Superman uh, cartoon was, as far as I know, even a even a gleam in somebody's eye. You know, we wanted something big for the 25th issue. Uh, one one of the things that that was always disappointing about 
In fact, the only thing that was disappointing about the Batman Adventures, it was not just a home run, it was a grand slam artistically, always extremely critically acclaimed, including I used to have so many fans tell me, you know, it was their favorite comic book. It was the only one they read on a regular basis. I, I wish I had a copy of it. I made a house ad that was basically nothing but quotes from professionals, big names, uh, Kelly Jones and Neil Gaiman, yeah. uh, Matt Wagner saying how it's their favorite comic book, how much they <laughs> love it. Nice. And saying something like, you know, what do they know that you don't pick up the, the Batman Adventures? <laughs> and it got spiked because somebody up above thought it wasn't visually interesting enough. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got Neil Gaiman yeah. raving about the <laughs> Batman Adventures. Who cares what it looks like? So I really wish I'd kept a copy of that. Uh, I remember Matt Wagner called me up shortly after Batman Adventures number 13, the Talia issue. Uh, and he said... <laughs> There will not be a better comic book published this year by anyone. And, oh, you know, Matt and I weren't we, – we'd worked together a little bit because he was doing Batman Grendel, and he had done, done a bunch of covers for Detective Comics for, for me. But, you know, we weren't buds. So for him to just call up out of the blue and give me just about the greatest compliment I can imagine, absolutely <laughs> flabbergasted. But it never sold all that well. I mean, it sold well. Don't get me wrong. Here's, <laughs> it was probably the least – well-selling Batman book. And it probably sold in numbers that if it were to come out today, like if it were selling those numbers today, it would be like the seventh best selling title for the month because <laughs> things were very different. Yeah. yeah. So it sold great, just not great in comparison to, to our other book. <laughs> uh, so issue 25, you know, we put Superman in because it was an anniversary issue. We wanted to do something cool. And we were looking for, you know, a little bit of a, of a sales bump. You know, the creative team was hoping for sort of the more classic Superman look, maybe even going more in a sort of Fleischer style. But for continuity sake, it was decided to go with the then current look on Superman. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's really cool to read that issue and kind of see what could have been. Yeah. You know, it's almost a different take on, on what the, the DC animated universe. I was going to mention, you were talking about, you know, the, the comic not selling as well as it might today. Ted and I are little babies and we grew up while this cartoon was on TV. Um, and so I, you know, my <laughs> only memory of the show was just, hey, look, it's that awesome Batman show that it's on right now. I'm going to watch it. You know, and as a little kid, you're not aware of, of ratings and that kind of thing. So I, right. I, I, I'm sure that like the animated series and it, all the follow-up shows and everything are, are so iconic and, and, nostalgic and everything to everybody nowadays um but i'm sure that at the time you know you're talking about you know maybe you were kind of struggling to get batman adventures into people's hands i guess we absolutely were i mean the the one of the goals from the very beginning uh, I, I took as our model the classic chuck jones looney tunes cartoons right mm -hmm. so that any four or five year old instantly captivated by bugs bunny or roadrunner or daffy duck or whatever it is but you never, ever get too cool for it, right? You see it when you're, you're 14 or 15, and you're instantly like, oh, I loved these. You watch them when, and I can tell you, you're 45, <laughs> you watch them, and you're like, first of all, this is even funnier than I remembered. Second of all, I've seen some of these gags 20, literally 20, 30 times. They still make me laugh. Yeah. And number three, you're just, I'm constantly blown away by the inventiveness 
the sophistication of the, the storytelling. It's exquisite. It's phenomenal. And that was always what I was going for with the Adventures line was it should be accessible to the youngest readers mm-hmm. with a, an absolute minimum of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, let's try to slip something dirty in there. But if you do it right, it is going to be the kind of thing where, you know, John Van Fleet or Neil Gaiman or Matt Wagner goes, my God, this is fantastic. You know, and it's really hard to do. Yeah, I think that's very descriptive of of just that animated universe as a whole, uh, at least for the most part. Because, yeah, I mean, when I was growing up watching them, there was just that kind of unspoken, hey, I feel like, you know, this is more meant for older kids or adults or whatever, and then... But you don't, you can't really put your finger on why. But yeah, that's definitely something that I appreciated about yeah. the shows and the comic spinoffs of said I shows. Think my parents right. had an age limit for me. I think, uh, I think I was in first grade when they were finally okay. You can start watching that Batman show now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I man, I have this vivid memory too of uh, having the Mask of the Phantasm VHS set, right, the tape, and uh, pulling it out and having an advertisement in there for the Batman Adventures a oh, subscription. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was in the mail. And I remember like signing up for it. Right. Or about to like put in the mail, getting a letter back that said like, oh, this series has been discontinued. <laughs> you know, it, like it must have either been Batman and Robin Adventures or even Gotham Adventures by that time. It was like that, you know, like it, it had yeah. evolved into the other series. But so I found Gotham Adventures. <laughs> I love a happy ending. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the Batman Adventures uh, had quite a few uh, specials that involved like creative uh, talent from the cartoon itself, like Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and those guys, and uh, um, like Mad Love or the holiday specials or uh, various characters that got introduced into the show, starting in the comics, like Roxy Rocket and stuff. Did the uh, did the Batman Adventures like how do you how do you think the Batman Adventures got to be sort of a launching pad for actual episodes of the animated series from the humble beginnings that you spoke of before? <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened? Uh, my understanding uh, of what happened: one, they were a little. I think a lot of the creators were at least a little bit trepidatious when they found out there was going to be you know a tie-in uh, mm-hmm. because, understandably, they thought of the animated show very much as as their baby. Yeah. So I think they were a little bit nervous about what guys over on the East Coast were going to do with their beloved uh, offspring. But they pretty quickly, I think, you know, uh, Kelly's scripts were phenomenal. Uh, Ty Templeton is Ty Templeton. You know, he's a genius. Uh, Rick Burchett, you know, one of the two or three most underrated artists of the 90s. Later, Brad Rader had been, that rhymed. (laughs) Brad Rader. Later came on to do issues four, five, and six. He had worked on the animated show, which is how I got to know him. And I think they started feeling a little more comfortable. And I know once Mike Parabek came on with issue seven, you know, these guys were professional artists. It's impossible for a professional artist to look at Mike Parabek's work and not be blown away. Mike was such an amazing artist. He, his anatomy uh, and, and perspective was absolutely flawless. His storytelling was brilliant it was it was clear dynamic inventive he was you know the the energy the the stuff just jumped off the page he was phenomenal so at a certain point i think they became pretty comfortable with us later one by one you know they'd either be in town on business or family or we'd meet at conventions or whatever and you know we just gradually got to know people uh we got to know each other and that's the thing right is that these guys were all comic book fans yeah so 
they, you know, in a sort of kind of like all musicians seem to want to be actors and all actors want to be musicians. I think they always wanted to do comics like, mm-hmm. and this was a chance where they weren't going to give, give up their day job. They weren't going to have to give up their day job. That was the nice thing. They could work on a comic, you know, a one shot, a special, a short story, whatever miniseries on the side while still doing their, doing their day jobs. And they knew we were going to have a good creative relationship and it just, it just worked really, really nicely. So it was just a very organic thing. I'm pretty sure that at some point, I don't know when I made the offer to, to Paul and Bruce, you know, anytime you guys want to do something, it's an absolutely completely open door. Was that great for me? Yeah, that's, it's really cool. The, I was going to add one thing to that. The, uh, I, I talked to you a while ago about our our uh, timeline that we're working on for all these shows and everything. I was asking you lost years questions that you sort of had that knew the answer to. <laughs> uh, the uh, you know we we were I've gone through every issue of the Batman Adventures uh, with a fine tooth comb, you know, trying to pick out uh, you know where does this issue fit in the timeline, where does this, this issue fit in the timeline, everything, and uh, and and. Out of the you know thirty six Batman adventures and however many Batman and Robin there were, uh, there is only that one issue with Superman in it that does not work in the animated series continuity. Um, and I was like blown away because we, all the Justice League Adventures comic is almost its own separate universe. Like there's so many contradictions every issue with the cartoon and everything, but the Batman Adventures was very fluidly. Uh, just sunken in as if it's part of the of the cartoon that's just you know storyboards or something that never became episodes or whatever. Um, was there? I just want to know from personally, I guess, was there some kind of uh, other than just like the Bible and character designs and that kind of thing? Was there any sort of timeline or events of continuity or anything that you guys shared between the cartoon and the comics, or was it just coincidence that it all worked out as well as it did? It wasn't exactly coincidence. It was. By design, in a larger sense, we, everybody working on it, were huge fans. So we watched every episode as they came out. Right. But because of the need to work so far ahead, that wasn't enough. So the idea always was sort of, again, to go back to a classic Looney Tunes cartoon, it was almost to have no continuity. We were following the backstories and continuity as established by the animated series. Mm-hmm. But what we would try to do is... With the exception of the issues before Harvey Dent became Two-Face, we weren't going to change any of the characters, heroes, villains, supporting characters, Mm -hmm. in any way that would make a future issue or future episode difficult or contradictory in any way. So basically the idea was tell the best Poison Ivy story possible using the animated version of the character. Don't establish any continuity don't establish that whatever she's got a stepfather named so-and-so <laughs> right give her a tattoo that can never be removed whatever just within these parameters tell the best story possible set in this universe so i guess that you just kind of lucked out then sort of that uh they <laughs> a lot of the time they just didn't decide to I guess, contradict on the show something that you guys had written and, in fact, several times incorporated stuff that you guys had written. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it was to some extent a a mutual admiration thing, although I I would guess it's more just lucky happenstance. I'm quite confident that they read every issue more or less as they came out because they they got them all free. (laughs) But I doubt they went too far out of their way to change things to fit our continuity. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, 
working the way we worked and working the way they worked. I think it just worked out nicely. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) You and Tim Levins enjoyed a uh, lengthy four-year run on Batman Gotham Adventures, which was the tie-in to the new Batman Adventures when the um, animation style was streamlined to match the Superman animated series. So um, what was the process like? Well, first of all, um, I guess tell us a little bit about your transition from being the editor to the writer and then um, if you could talk about your process working with Tim Levins and um, maybe some of your favorite memories on the series. Uh, I have no good memories of the series because I hate <laughs> Tim Levins. I'm sure, <laughs> no. I'm sure that's I still love, I, 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 love, I, love, I, I thought you were serious there for a second, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, for once he'll actually listen to something that I've said and actually listen to this and get to that point and thank Lord. But no, yeah. Tim and I, 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 I love Tim. We, we still are in email contact. We uh, still work together when we can. Love the guy to pieces. Uh, one of my favorite artists, phenomenal artist, great guy. Yeah. When my first kid, uh, my daughter Kate, was about eight, uh, 20 months old, 21 months old, uh, she was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. Uh, she and my, my wife basically spent the next year in the hospital. It was a, a very advanced case. She's all better now. She's uh, about to start her last year of college. Everything's great. But it kind of changed my priorities a bit. Up until that point, I, I, I had thought I was going to be um, not the next Julie Schwartz, Schwartz because there could be no other Julie Schwartz, but kind of a lifer. I, I had at that point thought I am going to be one of these guys. You know, I'm going to be an editor at DC Comics for the next Mm -hmm. 45 years. Mm -hmm. And after that happened, I thought, you know, I don't think I want to spend 50 to 60 hours a week uh, not around my kids anymore. So when uh, my wife was getting ready to give birth to our second kid, uh, I decided to go freelance. Uh, My wife's a children's novelist, and (laughs) she had more work than she could take and be a stay-at-home mom. So I was going to be a stay-at-home dad. I was home for about three or four weeks, something like that, when the editor of the Gotham Adventures, Darren Vincenzo, uh, asked if I wanted to write a a fill-in issue, and I did. So I wrote it, and I was very much hoping that uh, Rick Burchett was going to be the artist, since he was the artist on the regular series. And Darren said, no, uh, we're going to have a a fill-in artist to go along with the fill-in writer. It's this, this new kid that I just uh, discovered did this creator-owned series with Jay Torres, um, mm-hmm. the copybook tales. That's great. Uh, you're really going to like him. And I was like, I don't know. He's no Rick Burchard. But uh, <laughs> I got the pencils, and I was like, oh, my God, I like this kid. So Darren asked me to do another issue and then a couple more. And then I was, next thing I knew, I was the regular writer and Tim was my regular penciler. And I was ecstatic. He's phenomenal. He works versatile, but he's on a technical level superb when it comes to, to perspective and anatomy. His storytelling is flawless. And there's a, you know, a warmth to his stuff that just, I, I just, man, I, 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 words fail me. I love his stuff so much. So, yeah, guys like uh, Tim Levins, Rick Burchett, Ty Templeton, all those guys that you've worked with on, on these various series, they're, they're all more or less mimicking Bruce Timm's style that are on the cartoons. But, you know, I can always look at, w- without looking at who's drawing it, I can look at them and be like, oh, that's Tim Levins or 
you know, whoever. And just the subtleties. Did you ever encounter any weirdness with, like, someone being like, I have to copy this style? Why can't I do my own style or anything weird like this? (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, it was just the other way around. I had people like John Byrne and Kelly Jones and Klaus Janssen say, God, if you ever need a a cover, a pinup, a story done, I would love to try working in that style. No, it was just the opposite. I mean, here's the thing. Anyone knows going in that it's a little bit like like being handed like, hey, guess what? You get to do Spider-Man and the person saying, okay, but I don't want to draw him in the costume. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, going in, that's that's part of the gig, right? That's how it was. If you're doing an animated show, you're going to be working in the animated style. And if you're not cool with that, then don't take the gig. It's just, right? That's that's just kind of the way it is. Well, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn. I've been practicing that style my whole life pretty much as soon as I could pick up a piece of paper and a pencil. And the, so I can, to- I can totally see the uh, desire to, <laughs> to be part of that, uh, you know, history and legacy of that kind of stuff. So, uh, all right, I'm going to move on to, to your favorite question. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, uh, in uh, Gotham Adventures 26, the entire issue uh, is a fight between Batman and some assassins that are all after a baby that Batman is trying to protect. And uh, so how how did you possibly choreograph the fight sequences in this issue? And who on the creative team was dealing with fatherhood anxiety at the time? <laughs> so that was definitely me. <laughs> I think my wife was pregnant with our third kid at the time. <laughs> And I, meanwhile, was she and I would each, uh, we were stay-at-home parents half the day and freelance writers the other half. Uh, So I was always either writing Batman or I had a kid or two in my arms or I was cooking dinner or something like that. So (laughs) that was definitely, I checked with Tim. Tim's Tim's son, James, wasn't born until 2003, and that issue came out in 2000. So that was definitely all me. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea how... I assume I was feeling beleaguered one day, and, and that's where the, the idea came from. That, 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 that is the work for which currently Tim and I are, are best known, definitely on Tumblr. That thing has, been, so. yeah. that thing has, has got like 200,000 retumbles uh, on Tumblr, so reblogs. Yeah, that, uh, that is a delightful issue. I'm very, very pleased with the way that came out for the most part. Well, I'm glad that it's something you're proud of and not something you resent or anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, no, I knew, no. It's... I knew we had to ask you about it. <laughs> we had yeah, to. no, no. It's, it's, listen, I'm, I'm pretty happy with almost every issue of, of Gotham Adventures. As with almost everything, I'm not sure there's an issue that I, that I couldn't look at and go, oh, God, I wish I could redo that one balloon or uh, that, you know, what, that line of dialogue, that sequence, whatever, didn't work quite as well as I would have liked. Uh, speaking simply of my own work, I, I never have any problems whatsoever with uh, with the the penciling, inking, lettering, coloring. But yeah, I mean, I'm never 100% happy with my own work. But that issue comes pretty close. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with with that issue. It is a great one. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Tim Tim did such a phenomenal job. He in terms of choreographing, I have the I still have the script, so I assume I suggested what happened in each panel not positive i do know that very few people have picked up on 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 the seinfeld reference oh i'm gonna have to check it out (laughs) should i tell you yeah yeah go ahead (laughs) there's one panel during the whatever it is three or four pages where it's just batman holding a holding the baby and going back and forth between his regular night right 
where in one place he's like putting out a fire and another one he's he's fighting off the mafia then he goes mm-hmm. back and he's like covering up a homeless person who's cold with a blanket and in one panel cradling the baby and he's driving a bus while you can see the bus drivers having a heart attack oh <laughs> <laughs> and it's from good. the yeah. episode where 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 George says where where Kramer the the bus driver has the heart attack so yeah. Kramer takes over and George says you're Batman he says I am Batman <laughs> oh, <laughs> no nice. that's good that's yeah. good yeah <laughs> so many of your issues use a uh, pretty minimalistic writing which allows uh, Tim's art to really breathe on the page so you know I, like you said you probably write like every panel you know has a, has a direction but were there ever any issues that you recall that that was specifically like Tim Levins was like, I've got a really cool, you know, splash page or whatever. Well, two, two things. One, as we got more comfortable, uh, I would sometimes say, here's the first panel. Here's the last panel. How Batman gets from A to B is up to you. Or I would just throw out ideas and say, you know, the next three pages, here are ideas for, for nine panels. Put whatever panels on whatever page you want. You know, Batman, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And Tim would pace it out and decide what shots go where and, and that sort of stuff. And he's a great artist. So his eye is so much more sophisticated than mine. He's so much more uh, inventive. He's so much more creative uh, when it comes to that. You know, the, my only question, it wasn't a question of, can I, can I trust him? There was, obviously I could. It was, how much is fair to him? Some artists right. Right. want as much freedom as you can give them. Other artists think, come on, man, do your job. <laughs> like, don't, you know, don't push this off on me. Uh, and it, it varies from artist to artist. Some artists want as much freedom as you want, as, as they can get. Other artists might feel that way, but think, but at the same time, dude, I got to do, you know, nine pages this week. Come on, you know, help right. me out. Uh, so it, it varies. It sounds like the two of you developed a good shorthand. You know, so sort of yeah. communication after a while. Yeah, yeah. I was going to yeah. mention I follow Tim Levins on DeviantArt, and he's he posts Gotham Adventures pages every once in a while, and he talks about how you guys had kind of a rapport with, uh, like he shows a he showed a, a page with uh, Batman sneaking into like a castle that Rachel Ghoul is hiding out in, and and how you gave him kind of the notes of like. Uh, Batman's on top of the roof, and then by the end of the page, he's facing face to face with Rachel Ghoul. You know, do whatever you want, and then there's just a bunch of punching and backflips and doors closing and all this stuff in like four total panels, and it's oh, yeah. just the most ridiculous. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I introduced when when I was an editor at Wildstorm. At one point, I was doing a story with uh, J.M. Dematis and Keith Giffen. Nice. nice. And obviously their go-to guy, right, is always Kevin McGuire. Phenomenal. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure that any comic book has ever had a more mind-bogglingly great run of pencilers than, than their original run on Justice League, where it went Kevin McGuire, Ty Templeton, Adam Hughes. It just, oh, oh my God, impossible <laughs> to believe how great yeah. those three guys are. So they were looking for a penciler for something. And, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it might have actually been a DC project that I didn't even have anything to do with, but I was talking to either Giffen or Dematis, and they were saying, you know, they were having trouble finding somebody, but it was supposed to be in that, as they call it, the Bwahaha style, right? Gotcha. The very expressive faces. You need somebody who can mm-hmm. draw really subtle facial expressions, which is not something many artists can do because it's, first of all, incredibly hard. Second of all, it's not what most young comic book artists practice, right? Mm-hmm. They practice mm-hmm. Thor and Superman 
punching each other as hard as they can, or they practice yes. the scariest Joker ever, but they don't really practice Captain Marvel looking exasperated. <laughs> you right. know, that's just, so there aren't many. So I sent them, I was like, hey, what do you think about uh, this guy? And I sent him Tim Levins. They were both like, who is this guy and where did he come from? <laughs> and why isn't he on everything? He's phenomenal. Yeah. And indeed he is. And they ended up doing a couple issues with him that I think might have actually gotten canceled before any of it ever came out because they had to move them over onto other things or something like that. I don't remember what the thing was, but they loved him. Um, and understandably so. He's, you know, Tim is so the real deal. Tim co-wrote with me. He plotted, I think it's issue 50. Is that the Catwoman issue? Oh, I believe the, you. With the really great this. Darwin Cook cover, I think. <laughs> yes. The, yeah. the painted cover, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so Tim actually co-plotted that with me, or mainly plotted it, and then I wrote the script on top of that. And unfortunately, it didn't get into the credits. So I like to point that out when I can, oh. because I think it just says written by Scott Peterson, but it should have said, like, story by Tim Levins and Scott Peterson. He's not just a pretty face. <laughs> I am not. You're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that pretty. <laughs> When you asked about choreographing and minimalists to let the yeah. art shine, I'm just, you know, comics is a visual medium. Even though some of my favorite, you know, I am, I am just about the world's biggest Alan Moore fanboy. And obviously Alan uh, has had <laughs> certain comics that were more than a little bit verbose. Yeah. <laughs> but never, ex you know, excessively so. Never. And he also always, you know, even at that time, when they were verbose, it tended because that was part of the character's character. But then he would have these long silent sequences and let the, the art shine. And that's, uh, it's, it's sort of like the, the old uh, Edgar Allan Poe thing about every single thing in your story has to be there or else cut it out, right? If that comma is unnecessary, cut the comma. If that yeah. line, that character, that subplot, whatever, cut it. So my feeling is I, as a writer, try to write as few balloons as I possibly can. <laughs> you know, I want, I want the art to shine as much as possible. It's a visual medium. So most of the stories that I tell do require some word balloons, and some of them require a lot of word balloons. But I really try to put in absolutely as few as I can. In fact, that's usually what my rewriting is about. The way I tend to write is uh, I am a proponent of the get it down first, get it right later school of, you know, train of thought, school yeah. of thought, yeah. um, where I just try to get the, the first draft done and then I go back and I make it better. And the way I usually do that is I try to cut like 20% of the, uh, the words out in the second draft, something like that. And fortunately, working with somebody like Tim makes that very, very easy. The Gotham Adventures had a lot of guest stars from the expanded DC universe that hadn't we hadn't seen yet in the cartoons or very briefly, like Flash and Superman were in there. But then you've also got like Phantom Stranger and Dead Man and Huntress and all these guys that you you guys basically introduced before they ended up on like the Justice League cartoon and, and future stuff. What was the process like behind expanding the animated Batman into the broader DC universe? Well, that was one of those places where I was acquiescing generally to my creative teams. That was something that I actually wasn't crazy about, was doing animated versions of characters that hadn't been on the animated show yet. I actually didn't really think that it was our place, although we were legally able to do it. And although right. I think that creatively it worked out really nicely, uh, I thought that we really should 
allow Bruce and that entire amazing crew, we should give them the, the right of first refusal. We should mm-hmm. allow them the opportunity to do the first version, uh, the first appearance of whichever characters. Yeah. People always, not always, people frequently wanted to bring in some of their favorite characters because I tried to say no as little as possible because, you know, I wanted them to be excited about the project. I wanted them to have fun. Yeah. And I thought I might be wrong. Maybe feeling the way I did was unnecessary. Uh, so I didn't want to be, you know, a stick in the mud. That wasn't something that I was actually all that, all that nuts about. I didn't know there was going to be a Justice League series. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I couldn't have known that they were going to use whomever and therefore that I really shouldn't. I, I tended to discourage it as much as possible without outright saying no, with the result that, you know, it did happen sometimes. And some of the stories were really, or all of the stories were really, <laughs> really good. Uh, but that wasn't my, that wasn't my favorite part about working on the books. I can, I can see that. Uh, I can understand your feelings toward, you know, wanting, uh, Tim and Deanie and those guys to, to, you know, have first say in, in how the, how a certain, a certain new character would be introduced into the animated universe. But looking at the ones that I listed out, uh, Huntress is the only one that really doesn't jive with what they wound up doing with the character on the Justice League cartoon. And the rest of them all more or less integrate with, you know, pretty well, they gel well with, with whatever they did on the cartoons. And, and so that, you know, maybe whether they told you or not, that may be a uh, compliment, I guess, to, to your guys' introduction of those characters. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I did have going for me as an editor was because I was working on a great property, I got to work with nothing but really, you know, top-notch creators. Mm-hmm. So when you give a Ty Templeton... Templeton, whether he's the writer, the penciler, the inker, the colorist, the letterer, you know, when you get him on a story, it's going to be great. The only question is, what's going to happen in the story, not will it be good? Ty is, for my money, one of the two or three single most talented people to ever work in comics. Mm. He is a great writer, a phenomenal artist. He's an amazing musician. He's a professional actor, mind-bogglingly talented, <laughs> where comics are actually only a, you know, only a part of his talent. Oh, for sure. I know that he and uh, Rick Burchett are working on the Harley Quinn and Batman uh, Digital First web series right now that's on uh, Comixology. It's tying into the, the new Batman Harley Quinn movie. Definitely felt like a continuation of the Batman adventures. Well, I, I can't imagine, you know, more qualified individuals than, than <laughs> yeah. those guys i just you know every chance i get to to work with them or even just read their stuff i'm just always overjoyed as a follow-up to to your question james yeah. uh, there were there were some villains that were introduced in the comics as well not just the hero guest stars um one of the most notable being anarchy in uh, the batman adventures number 31 and uh, we later saw some some others like Black Mask and Sportsmaster and Bronze Tiger appear in uh, the second volume of Batman Adventures. And uh, I guess um, I'm just wondering if there are any other villains that were ever uh, maybe discussed or talked about, including like maybe uh, maybe a Mister Zaz or um, Tallyman. You know, some some little <laughs> more obscure level ones. You know, some of the some of the the the, the warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Exactly. No, not necessarily an eraser right, yeah. head or an egg head, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason, Mr. See, Anarchy was, was an exception to my I'm not crazy about this idea rule. Uh, as I'm sure you guys are aware, 
that issue of, of the Batman Adventures was written by Anarchy co-creator Alan Grant. Oh, that's right. Who was actually doing me a favor by, by writing an issue, and he's like, hey, can I uh, do an Anarchy story? And I was like, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Don't say no. He okay. had created the character. I was curious. I actually felt that there was an example of where he sort of does that Alan was the one who sort of had right of first refusal of Anarchy's first appearance. Sure. So as for the others, no, I can't think of any others that I wanted to use and never got a chance as either editor or writer. And uh, so moving back to Gotham Adventures, uh, number 51, uh, we got a Mr. Freeze issue, uh, which continued the his tragic love story with his wife, Nora, from the... Um, Heart of Ice story in the animated series, and uh, Jason Hall wrote that issue, and he would later pitch a sequel uh, for Batman Adventures Volume Two, which would connect uh, Mister Freeze to his appearance in Batman Beyond. And Mister Freeze had one of the most like fleshed out, uh, emotionally heartbreaking story arcs in the DC animated universe. What do you think makes this character work so well in this particular version versus his other incarnations? Yeah, that's that's really interesting because that is one of those places where. The Joker, Poison Ivy, Ra's al Ghul, uh, Two-Face, they were used brilliantly on the animated series and really, really well in subsequent uh, adventures-style comics. Mm -hmm. But all of them were recognizably extremely well-done versions of what had already been in the comics for decades. A couple of the others, Killer Croc, Penguin, Catwoman, either took a while to find their footing or were in some way versions of previously seen uh, examples from the comics, right? So Killer Croc has sort of had several different ways of being portrayed in the comics over the years. And the way that the animated series went with him was a sort of version of one of those versions, if that makes sense. Certainly, it took them a while to figure out, I think, what exactly they wanted to do with Catwoman, for instance. But with Mr. Freeze... They sort of, it seems to me, just plain reinvented him almost, yeah. just going with the name and saying, okay, brand new character, this is his name, these are his powers. Like, what should his origin be and what should his character be? Built him from the ground up, and it is just obviously a towering achievement, very possibly the single best episode of that entire brilliant run. Devastating, freaking devastating. Would have been still perfect if that had been the only time we ever saw him yeah like absolutely no need for a sequel and yet somehow they they crafted him so expertly that there was room for him to continue on and for subsequent stories to be told with him the combination of the devastating emotional backstory with the phenomenal intellect and immense physical power man i'll tell you all the uh, all the stars aligned with that one where just you know whatever cliche you want to go with you know hitting on all cylinders catching lightning in a bottle yeah. i'm not entirely positive why other than what i just you know the three minutes i just rambled about it i'm not sure why it was so successful but god almighty it certainly was it was a fresh take. I mean, it was it was so good. It uh, you know, garnished his own uh, feature uh, direct to DVD film. You know, Sub Zero. That's a good point about the fresh take. Is many of us, those of us who weren't 
babies when it came out. <laughs> James. Hey, I was like five, okay? I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Intellectually, I still am. <laughs> we had emotional connections to Mr. Freeze from uh, to the character from the comics and from the Adam West TV show. But because of Paul and Bruce, it was such a fully rounded character with this, like I said, you know, terribly tragic backstory and yet really scary and dangerous at the same time. Sort of the way uh, a viewer, a reader is predisposed to like the protagonist, whether they're actually good guys or not, right? You, even though Vito Corleone is a monster, he's the protagonist of the film, yeah. so you, you can't help it you know, or, or, or later Michael, you can't help it. Your sympathies are with him. Right. To some extent, I feel like that's Mr. Freeze. We were already predisposed to like him because, you know, he was a Batman villain of, of whom we've heard, but suddenly he's given this unprecedented depth, and it sort of makes, I, I feel like, two different parts of the brain, the synapses start firing at once. Yeah, the, the, the Heart of Ice episode, the, the first time that I saw it, I only caught the ending of it which, when Batman defeats him with chicken hot chicken noodle soup. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I remember, like, that's all I saw for years, and people were just raving about how amazing it, of an episode it was. And I was, you know, I was just in a Condiment King mindset for it, going, like, like, like how, <laughs> is this, how is this cool? I don't understand. And then, yeah, of course, getting the DVDs when they started coming out and I got to watch the whole thing. I'm like, oh, that's what everyone's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you wrote a book called Batman Fights the Joker Virus, which has art and anime style. Did doing those books for Capstone feel like writing another issue of Gotham Adventures or Superman Adventures? Not exactly. Pros and comics, even when you're dealing with the same characters, are so different that the two different mediums, the two different media are so, so different that I feel like I use a different part of my brain. And I, I know not all comic book writers feel this way, because I've, I've spoken with some of them, where the thing that many writers feel when they're writing prose, where they just sort of, it switches from one or both hemispheres to just one and they sort of get in this zone and they look up and you know an hour and a half has gone by and they've written five pages and they barely remember any of it and yet there it is that happens to me with prose that doesn't happen very often to me with comics because the format keeps me i feel like switching back and forth between the the left and right sides of the brain where the practical issues in terms of things like panels and shot descriptions and dialogue keeps bouncing back between the two between the two hemispheres yeah that totally makes sense I've, I've seen with that. pros <laughs> i can just even though it's batman i just i can sort of you know hopefully when things are going well enter the zone and just go and that's what that felt like to me uh writing the uh, the batman fights the, the joker virus one very different than writing comics, even though it was for the, the same characters and for the same or a similar age range. Yeah, I've I've been meaning to pick up some of those. They're, they, whenever I found out about them, there were only a couple of them, but there's so many now that's kind of daunting. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's all. I mean, even if you know, even if the stories are are uh, you know tailored a little more toward a, a slightly younger audience than than those character that universe is usually set in uh, just the the art style and and those versions of the characters 
I'll read anything that they're in. I'll watch anything that they're in. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Tim Tim has done a lot of them, and uh, they they all yeah. look obviously because he's Tim. They look great. Right. Yeah. Um, so after Batman Adventures and, and Gotham Adventures, you also were editor on the Lost Years uh, comics, which take place between those two. But they were actually released after the new Batman Adventures aired the uh, Sins of the Father episode, which showcased Tim Drake becoming Robin. Uh, were these in-betweener stories planned during the cartoons run concurrently or like with the animated producers having a say in them? Or was the Tim Drake issue simply like adapted from the episode? Yeah, I am afraid this is one of those places, gentlemen, where it was so long ago. <laughs> my memory is not what it should be. Oh, what I recall a... is... You have very vivid memories of Batman Adventures because it was a better time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know what? I was younger. I was three years younger, and that made all the difference. Right, right. Um, I think we were approached... No, I was approached by, like either Paul or Bruce or both and Hillary. And it was their idea to do this mini series that bridged sort of bridged things. And because Hillary Bader was a writer on the show, they trusted her to get the continuity right and to explain, explain the gap, explain what had happened mm -hmm. and that that's where it came from. So that, yeah, it was a very deliberate, right? They wanted the show to be a surprise with the changes. But they didn't necessarily want it to be a secret forever. Um, it was a dramatic way, you know, a sort of, not really a flash forward, but starting, you know, in, in media race and then going back later and, and telling it. But right. I don't know whether they just never, they didn't want to tell it in animated style, whether it's each episode is so expensive um, whether they weren't budgeted, whether, you know, I don't know what the reason behind that was. All I know is that they wanted to do it this way. And, you know, I was absolutely hundred percent game. Um, I had something to add to that, but you might not remember the answer anyway, so it's probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh, I wish I could remember what I was just going to say. It was going to be so good. I know. I know. Yeah. It'll come back to me. And if it doesn't, that's okay. So after uh, there was a there was a run by Adam Beechin on the Batman Beyond comic, uh, and after that, shortly after that was over, you uh, stepped in and and co-created a new Batgirl Beyond uh, with Annie Wu, uh, writer Annie Wu, and the uh, her appearances were there not very many of them <laughs> uh, because the series was uh, pretty quickly relaunched uh, into the 2.0. But do you, did you have any further plans for that character? It was pretty enjoyable to see that kind of thing going with the Barbara Gordon mentoring and that kind of thing. I had worked with Annie when I was on staff at Wildstorm. God, what a great artist. Mark Bernardin uh, brought her to my attention, and I just, uh -huh. just fell in love with her stuff immediately and just really liked her as a, as a person. When Wildstorm was closing down, Jim Lee asked me to pitch some stuff and that was one of the the things i pitched you know they asked who i wanted to work with and on my wish list first was annie and loved working on that we both had ideas for subsequent stories using that version of uh fat girl set in that that universe we definitely you know we, we know her whole backstory we had ideas for uh where we could go with the character annie went on to become busy with with first Hawkeye and then uh, then Black Canary, but she's she's always said that she would be very happy to 
make time in her schedule whenever DC wants to do more Batgirl Beyond. They asked about creating a new Batgirl. I was thinking about who the character should be, and one of the things that I remembered being four years old, identifying really heavily with Flash and Aquaman because we had the same color hair. And I thought, you know, (laughs) at that point, virtually every DC and Marvel superhero was a white male. Yeah. And the only thing that really varied was, did they have brown hair, blue hair, or yellow hair? You know, a couple (laughs) of them maybe had, had red. Very, very, very few were people of color, heroes of color. There weren't that many females, but even the, the females that they did have were, you know, a super girl, a bat girl, right? right? They were female versions of many of the existing male characters. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, God, if as a four-year-old, having the same color hair as my favorite hero meant that much to me, what must it mean to look at a Justice League or an Avengers, you know, and see five, six, seven, ten characters, and none of them have skin tones that look like yours. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and conversely, how much must it mean when you finally do see one that you're like, wow, hey, that Green Lantern has the same skin tone as mine. <laughs> it was just hair color, and it affected me. Yeah. yeah. So when it came to thinking about a new Batgirl, I-, I thought, do we really need yet another Caucasian character when it could be absolutely any? Not to mention it's, you know, 50 years in the future or whatever it is. Right. Was it the decision from the beginning to make her an original character? Because I know for a while when Batman Beyond was on the air, there were a lot of people uh, gunning for the the Max character to become right. a Batgirl. Yeah, it was. I wanted somebody original because while I thought that would be cool, one of the things that always really bothered me so this would have been, let's see, about the time that you guys were, hold on, let me do the math. <laughs> Not so yet a twinkle right. in your father's <laughs> eyes when the 1989 uh, Michael Keaton Batman movie right. came out. Tim Burton, Jack Nicholson. I was only negative two. It's fine. <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> if you guys, okay, actually, you guys have seen it, I assume? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the, right, the, the bit where Jack Napier killed the Waynes, right? right. Uh-huh. Then Batman causes him to become the Joker, and then they have the big... And I thought, really? Really? Destiny. With tens of thousands of bad guys, <laughs> it's gonna be this one, who yeah. at the time, the guy wasn't even anybody. I, I hated the coincidence. It just... I hated that. So that's the thing. If there's gonna be, like, this new superhero that pops up, for it to be somebody that the heroes already know, I don't like that. Yeah. I completely agree. Listen, it, you know, it does happen. But, right, if you go and you start a new job, you might run into somebody you know. But chances are you don't know any of these people, even if it's a fairly small town. If you're on a baseball yeah. team, yeah, the new catcher might be the son of somebody that you played with in a different league 15 years ago. But chances are not. It's going to be somebody completely new. That's what I liked was it wasn't just the, the, it wasn't just a fresh slate creatively. It's that that just feels to me more like the way the world is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, are you, do you watch the CW Flash TV show? Oh, yes. 
Right. Although, although, wait, I, I am I'm a season behind. Oh, okay. Well, I was gonna bring just up, starting the final season. I was gonna nice. bring up something from that, so I'll, I won't spoil anything for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a follow up question to the Batgirl. Uh, I know you talked about you didn't like bringing in characters that hadn't already been been established in the animated series. Uh, but did you guys have ever have any plans for the other Batgirls, the non-Barbara Gordon Batgirls, like Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane or any of those guys that to to make a, an appearance in one of your comics? No. Okay. Moving on. I'm just <laughs> No, you know what? I would uh Kelly Puckett over the previous 12 years had probably written three times as many Batgirl stories as anyone else. And the the funny thing is is that he actually never likes the character. Um, uh, for a long time. So I would always force him be like, Hey, it's time for another Batgirl story. He'd be like, Oh man, really? I'm like, yep. Sorry. <laughs> Gotta do a Batgirl story. Every six issues. Love Batgirl. Do Batgirl. He'd be like, man. And then he would do these great stories. They were phenomenal. He was so good with the character. So I never had any real interest in doing any other Batgirls as much as I loved the other Batgirls because I liked this Batgirl. Like I, they're just, you know, there weren't enough pages in a year, um, if I was going to do a Batgirl, I wanted to do the animated Barbara Gordon Batgirl. Just, God, uh, I, I, I have been very honest with my wife that uh, <laughs> the Yvonne Craig Batgirl from the Adam West show is the first woman I ever loved. <laughs> yeah. So I have always loved, loved, loved Batgirl. Uh, I was the assistant editor, I think, on the first ever Stephanie Brown story cool. when she was just the clue master's daughter. Yeah. Now a dream project would be doing some sort of Batgirl project with basically all the various Batgirls over the years. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to ask you next about your, uh, work on video games, uh, specifically Batman dark tomorrow. I know you also did Superman of, uh, Superman, man of steel for, uh, the Xbox. I think they were both for the original Xbox and, uh, probably PlayStation two in that era. Um, and so I, you know, Batman Dark Tomorrow, I had a copy on my GameCube and it's a, it's a very difficult game to play. Um, and I know you had nothing to do with the gameplay, but you, you wrote the, the cut scenes and, um, and I guess, uh, did you, did you have a hand in writing all the, the dialogue that was involved in the gameplay too? Or, um, uh, I guess how's the writing process for a video game? Uh, we've talked a little bit about the difference between prose and comics, but how's a video game so much? I, I'm sure it's much more expansive. But well, that yeah, and that was the big thing, right? Is that uh, a good video game takes what forty, fifty, eighty hours to play an episode of the Gotham Adventures? You know, you're you're done with it in in between three and ten minutes. <laughs> so big difference in terms of scope. I didn't really have like they weren't able at the time to. I think the guy who hired me for the gig was Greg Ross, who worked down in DC's licensed projects, something like that. But it's where they did prose novels and video games and, and stuff like that. And uh, my recollection is Greg passed me off to a new hire named Mike Siglane, who I just absolutely fell in love with. Great guy. Crazy smart insanely hardworking, uh, massive video game and comic book fanboy. He's actually in charge of uh, Lucasfilm's publications oh, nice. these days. Yeah, he's another creative monster. Great guy. But my recollection is that he wasn't actually able to send me like any video game scripts as an example of, you know, make it look like that because there kind of weren't any, or at least not any that he could get his hand on. And 
this was supposed to be the first video game that was using Batman continuity from the comics. They mm-hmm. had done some that had sort of generic no continuity, some that had, I guess, um, animated continuity, but this was supposed to be the first one that had current DC Comics continuity, which is how I got to have things like Oracle, the Cassandra Cain version of Batgirl in there, and, and things like that. Basically, whenever I would say, hey, can I? Mike would say, yes. <laughs> I'd say, well, how about, and he'd say, yes. And I'd say, I was thinking it might be like this. He'd say, that'd be good, but make it three times as big. It was, it was just, it was phenomenal. Ah, oh, the creative freedom was intoxicating. And uh, I was just very, barely a gamer at the time. I had loved video games when I'd been in high school, but I hadn't played any at that point in well over 10 years. So DC bought me a, a PlayStation, a half dozen games that I, uh, with which I should get acquainted so I could write this. And it, I mean, I don't even remember which. It was like the second Tomb Raider. Like it was that early that, that it was like only her first or second. So yeah, so it just, I sort of had carte blanche. And so yes, I wrote the, the cutscenes and I wrote a lot of the gameplay I think virtually 0.000% of which ever actually made it into the game, which I didn't really realize that that sort of wasn't really what I was being hired for. So, cause again, I was, I was off the edge of the map. This, as far as I know, had rarely if ever been done before, or if it had so few times that there was kind of, there was no roadmap for me to follow. I was just kind of making it up as, as I went, but the opportunity, you know, I got to write all these mini Batman movies, God, it was intoxicating. And yes, I would also do things like a half dozen canned responses for the various civilians or bad guys or, you know, minor mooks or whatever to use during the, the gameplay. But the main thing that I was doing was was the cutscenes. Yeah, and I, I remember that game pretty much had every single character in Batman's, you know, all of Gotham City was in that game. It was, it was awesome. It was. It was when, ah, the stuff that I got to do in Arkham was God, so much fun. So, 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 so much fun. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about your time as an editor at Wildstorm, um, and uh, I wanted to ask. Uh, um, I saw that you worked on Wildcats and Authority, and those are you know some of the the main like pillars of Wildstorm for sure. And you mentioned earlier that you uh, you worked on some of their licensed properties too, like uh, Ben Ten. I think you said might have been part of Wildstorm, but. Um, I know Fringe, J.J. Uh, Abrams' Fringe at, uh, tie-in book with the television series was part of that as well. Um, so what, I, I guess, what uh, other fond memories do you have of your time as an editor there? And uh, what are what are some of the projects that you worked on that you're uh, the most proud of? That is a good question. I would say, so to, to go with what, what you had already said and, and talk about the Fringe comic book. I loved Fringe. That was, that was such a good series. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. One of the things that was so enjoyable about the fringe tie-in i did the the second volume tales from the fringe and it was oh my god it was just nothing but a pure delight alex cat nelson was a staff writer on the show and he and the other staff writers were the ones who wrote the stories which made getting approvals a piece of cake because they were all staff writers so they understood what and what wasn't acceptable and when we would send things over for approvals the people whose job it was to approve them would be like, hey, Alex, is this okay with you? And Alex would be like, yeah, I wrote it. They're like, ah, it looks great. But the other thing was they were all so incredibly pleasant. Uh, Alex was, I think Alex was pretty much my only contact. I don't recall talking to any of the other writers, even though they, they other, you know, they, there were a bunch of other writers. You know, I had these great artists like, like Fiona Staples, the brilliant Fiona Staples, or I had, you know, uh, Dave Lapham. Uh, I had David Hahn. 
And one of the, the nice things was that these various staff writers, Alex and, and his, his colleagues, they were so open creatively where the, you know, the artist might say, hey, this is great, but you know, it's eight panels. Can I combine these and make this like a five-panel page? We won't lose any dialogue. Alex would be like, yeah, you know, if the artist thinks that works better, I'm sure the artist knows what he's doing. So it was just, nice. so nice. now the artist is all excited because you don't usually get that kind of freedom on a licensed book. So yeah, that was a, that was a delightful series to work on. Working on, on licensed properties uh, usually is okay. A lot of times really sucks. Fringe was awesome to work on. Absolutely delightful. The, the great artists, you know, uh, oh, actually I got to work with, with Tim Levins on, uh, on Fringe. Derek Robertson, Fiona Staples. How can you, you know, I first worked with Fiona on, uh, on the trick or treat, uh, adaptation. That was another incredibly enjoyable experience. And from there we did Jack Hawksmore writer, Mike Costa, who's now a staff writer on the, uh, the Lucifer TV show. Really good book. Great writer. Maybe the best new writer I've ever encountered where his first script out of the gate, I would have thought was more like his 20th. Comics is a really hard medium. The technical aspects are so tricky. You know, anytime you do a new job, whether it's whatever, driving a bus or your first time in court, right? It's really hard, your first couple days, your first couple times. Same thing with writing, right? First time you, whatever, write a sonnet, it's not going to be good. It's going to be really hard. And comics is one of those things where you can take really established screenwriters or novelists and have them write a comic book. And because they now have these, this really strict format within which they have to stay, only so many pages for the story, only, only so many panels per page, only so many balloons per panel, only one action per panel, and it takes a lot of outstanding veteran writers a really long time to get used to that. Mike's first script, boom, absolutely nailed it right out of the park. Oh, nice. uh, so he did Jack Hawksmore with Fiona Staples, and then uh, I, I grabbed her to do North 40 with, with Aaron Williams, the wonderful writer-artist of, of PS238 and mm -hmm. the Nodwood Chronicles. So you were asking which Wildstorm projects uh, I was proudest of, and those are those are several of them. And I would imagine writing stories for Scooby-Doo and Looney Tunes are pretty different. <laughs> you know what? It's, I'll tell you, writing Scooby-Doo was one of the hardest gigs I have ever had. No kidding. <laughs> Um, How do you write dialogue for a dog that every word starts with R? Dude, that is exactly <laughs> it. That's one of the problems. It's really freaking hard because, right, it has to be clear. So it's, oh, man, was that hard. It, it's like this. The, the way I thought of writing Scooby-Doo or the way I've tried to describe writing Scooby-Doo is like, you know, imagine you have to write a knock-knock joke. Imagine it has to conform to the format of a knock-knock joke. It has to be, generally speaking, fairly short. It has to be funny. It has to be surprising. You know how knock-knock jokes go, right? So write one that is authentically a funny knock-knock joke. Now write 15 more of them. That's what was so hard about it. Like writing one knock-knock joke that's really funny, you know, all right, I could probably do that, I suppose. I don't want to, but I suppose I could. <laughs> but now I have to do that over and over again. It was just really difficult. It was fun, but... Wow, do you get no, no respect, generally speaking, for writing Scooby-Doo? And that's, that's the tricky part, is that it's the hardest. Writing Scooby-Doo is so much harder than writing Batman. I am very glad I did it. I'm actually really proud 
of a couple of them, including Scooby-Doo Stories with, yes, Tim Levins. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was one of those deals where the pencils came in, Scooby, Shaggy, Velma, Fred, Daphne, only they're by Tim Levins. They look, they're exactly on model. They look the way they always look, yeah. except they're so dramatic. <laughs> like the storytelling, it's so awesome. His camera angles, his layouts, they're so good. <laughs> That's I, awesome. So I can tell you definitely hate Tim Levins, as you said before. I hate yeah. that guy. <laughs> it shows. Did you, you hear me, Tim? Are you listening, Tim? <laughs> no, you went to sleep already, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, were you responsible for creating your own monsters and stuff, too, or did you use ones from, the sh- from Scooby-Doo? <laughs> the one uh, thing I wasn't allowed to do is the thing that you're thinking of, which is, and I would have gotten away with it if it were a few meddling kids. Oh, Wow. Yeah, that was one of the one of the rules that the editor that I had at the time wouldn't let me do. You can't even sneak in like a, and I would have, and then someone cuts him off or something. <laughs> oh, see, that would have been funny. That would have been funny. I said, what about a story where it's nothing but over and over and over, and I, you know, ripping off the mask, and I would have gotten it, Farmer Brown, and I would have gotten away. And he said, yes, if you can make that work, that you can do. And I never did it because I kind of quit Scooby-Doo not oh. long afterwards. But yeah, I've always regretted that. Um, well, you wrote a bunch of original projects of your own too. I, I kind of scoured your blog and did some research, <laughs> but I saw you have you have a book, um, Game Over, which is a young adult book. Um, you have a novel series called Inheritance, and you have a few short story collections under the the title Uncivil War. Um, I was just hoping you could tell us a little bit about those. Game Over was actually something I wrote that 2005 or something like that, 2006. It was shortly before I went back on staff at Wildstorm. And I just, I had this idea and I just sat down and I thought, for, you know, it wasn't a comic book. And I sat down and I thought, you know what? I'm going to try this and see what happens. And I wrote it over the course of whatever, like six weeks or something. It was my first time writing prose and I kind of fell in love with, with the process. It's, it's what I was talking about before where I suddenly felt like it was all, I was able to lose myself in the story in a way that I almost never was with comics and I was done with it. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this now. And then I went on staff at Wildstorm, so I didn't do anything with it. And when the whole Amazon self-publishing thing happened a few years back, I thought about that and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll update this and just, you know, it's just sitting on my hard drive. I'll just toss it up on Amazon. And if nothing happens, nothing happens. And if a couple, you know, dozen people buy it, Awesome. I looked at it and I thought, uh, you know what? So I wrote this, whatever it's now, 10 years out of date, I should update it. And then I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to update it. I'm going to, instead, I'll set it in the past rather than update the tech at all. And yeah, that's where that's where that came from. So once I did that, that was so enjoyable. That's when I did uh, Uncivil War. I have two volumes of Uncivil War up on Amazon. One is uh, called The Island and it's a novella. The other is called uh, After the Fall, and it's a series of short stories and vignettes um, set in different, various different parts of the, the country. The way it started, the, the idea for the Uncivil War is I have a lot of family and friends that are far, far to the right and a lot that are far, far to the left, and then obviously quite a few who are centrist. And, you know, I've lived in very blue cities, and I've lived in very red small towns we're from all over this country and we've got friends and families and co-workers who are everywhere on the spectrum it's been very uneasy over the last 20 years watching you know since about 1994 as things have current situation is not exactly new it's way more extreme but this is where we've been going for for 23 years now i read a little 
something somewhere, I think it was about the Balkans. And the thing that I was reading was in the late 90s. And it was just kind of a throwaway line that said something about never in history has there ever been a civil war that truly ended. The fault lines, you know, rupture once again. I think it even said the, the exception is the American Civil War. And I remember thinking, is that true, though? Even if it is, you know, it hasn't ruptured yet. But I remember when I first came up with the idea in the late 90s, I thought that the fracture was going to be over, and this seems bizarre now, same-sex marriage. The reason for the rupture, if it happens, has changed several times since then. But, you know, it just does seem not very likely, but way more likely than it should be. And if it were to happen, it would be so completely and totally horrific. There would be no winners. It's nothing but losers. But I'm not sure that that having a lose-lose scenario is enough to keep it from happening. I don't really think it's going to happen. I think the odds are extremely low, but they're not zero, and they really should be. And, boy, there are a lot of good stories to be told set in that reality. So. Well, thank thank you for sharing that stuff about your original work. It's I mean we can talk yeah. about Batman all day, but it's really interesting to hear about your uh, you know personal passions. I guess. Well, you should. Uh, hopefully, we can maybe do a, a little little catch up in somewhere in another, say another year <laughs> yeah, when I can I can finally true. talk about the massive uh, creator owned original graphic novel that I wrote about oh. five years ago and which I just got all 280 pages of inks for oh, geez. The, nice. yeah it's it's big uh just got those uh, a couple weeks ago and actually while i was talking to you printer dropped off copies of all 280 pages not not the official printer as in like you know the staples yeah copy uh-huh. center guy so that i can go through and uh and tweak 280 pages of dialogue which is going to be quite quite a task <laughs> but a very <laughs> one. yeah well i mean it's your stuff so yeah. Fun. Well, that's a, that was leading up to our next question. If there are any other upcoming projects you can tell us about. So. Well, I've got this 280-page original right. graphic novel that's creator-owned that I can't talk about yet. Yeah. But I also have two other projects I can't talk about, both of them with uh, artist Kelly Jones, one creator-owned and one corporate-owned. But hopefully, so the, the, the corporate-owned one is uh, the six-issue miniseries, and it is three issues are, are penciled and inked. So hopefully I get to get to talk about that soon. So when's uh, Batman Adventures Volume 3 coming? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. It's always a, that's always a world uh, I love yeah. delving back into, and it's, it's never hard to get back into, into Gotham creatively, you know, in terms of a mindset. Batman has been such a huge part of my, my life since I was – four years old and watching the Adam West TV show and loving the, the Carmine Infantino mm-hmm. comics and things like that. So yeah, <laughs> whenever, whenever possible, <laughs> I am all over that. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap up our, our conversation by bringing it back to that world. Uh, do you have a favorite episode out of any of those shows, Batman, Superman, Justice League, even Static Shock or Zeta Project, if you wanted to? <laughs> I know we talked about On Leather Wings and, and uh, Heart of Ice a little bit, but... I'm going to say um, that's... There's only a couple. Come on. No, well, <laughs> I would say it's, it's virtually impossible to get better than Heart of Ice. I'm not sure you can have a, a, a greater episode than that. Two thermoses of chicken noodle soup. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there is one that I may be like even better, and it's 
almost got him, which has everything. It's so funny. It's tense. It's got like three fantastic twists. One of my kids will say, it was a big rock at least once every couple of weeks. Um, God, oh, God, so funny, so well done. And it's Batman the whole time saying that. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they buy it, and that's the nice thing, right, is that he understands the characters so well. And the reveal when the, the, the lamp starts swinging yeah, yeah, yeah. and his shadow, oh, God, the final <laughs> line by Catwoman. Every freaking thing about that episode works. It works brilliantly. See, you guys, man, you, you make me fanboy out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what we do all day, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> if it's possible that there is a better episode than Heart of Ice, then in a very different way, it would be almost got him. That is what I'm going to say. That's yeah. a good answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. Well, thank you. Well, that's um, it. Uh, we made it through everything. It only took yeah. like two and a half hours. That's fine. <laughs> I know. Hey, don't you know what time it is on the East Coast? Oh, yeah, hey, I know. <laughs> uh, next time we talk, remind me to tell you about uh, the time Mark Hamill left my, my voicemail message, my outgoing voicemail message. Oh, oh no. We have to talk about that now. <laughs> no, we're not going to. It takes too long. It takes too long. Uh, that's, that's what one calls a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, it'll nice. keep the intrigue, you know. So, <laughs> it's really interesting to get the insight, but as well as just kind of getting to know people like you who are have been involved with the, with the shows. I like to think there are no people like me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it offensively. I'm sorry. And uh, and next time you got to get Tim Levins on. Oh yeah, for except, sure. Except, except don't, because that guy sucks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. Tim well, Levens. thank you so much. Uh, it's been yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight. No, no, thank you guys. This was this was this was great. I uh, hope the rest of your evenings go well. And by the rest of your evenings, I mean except for those of you on the East Coast for whom it's already morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got 15 minutes left in the day. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's talk. <laughs> Ha 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 boy. Wasn't that fun, Ted, to speak that with him? That was great. <laughs> yes. Ha 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 ha. So <laughs> it's now, to now it's time for comic relief, I guess. Uh, we'll, just, we'll try to make this quick as well because you're probably five hours into this podcast at this point. Uh, I, I didn't, I've been reading the War, War of Jokes and Riddles. It's a newer uh, Batman mm-hmm. Rebirth thing but i'm only a couple issues into it so i don't have a lot to say it's 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 kind of cool so far with how it's it's all about um the joker can't laugh anymore he can't smile oh, like wow. he's having troubles with uh with that and so he's just going around like murdering this guy or blowing up this thing just to see if that makes him laugh and none, nothing's working so then he then riddler escapes arkham and comes to joker and is like hey i hear you can't laugh well what if we team up and kill batman it's the only way to kill batman we can't do it alone we keep trying millions of times and joker's like oh that sounds good and then he shoots him in the chest and then he's like oh that didn't make me laugh either so <laughs> and then they just keep going and i guess it, it it will eventually devolve into this big tens of villains versus each other thing mm-hmm. but i haven't gotten that far yet I My did watch. Or, it's, yeah, uh, go ahead. It's set in the past, right? It's kind of like yeah, a big it's like Batman story. Year Two time ish. Okay. That's cool. Um, which is kind of weird. Like he's telling this whole story to Catwoman, who he has mm. just proposed to in this right. continuity. So, uh, yeah, I, I, every time that they do a story like this, um, that's in the new Fifty Two averse of sorts, I, whenever they flash back to like a Batman Year One kind of time. I always think like, 
wait, so is this... Because if Dr. Manhattan deleted 10 years of time, how long ago is this? And in, in, is it actually in this continuity? And like, I, I don't, right, it's right. too much. But I mean, it's probably not as, as comprehensive as, or as complicated as, as I think it is. It's probably just fine. But yeah. I mean, it's that's so DC cool continuity see. for you. It like yeah, yeah. changes all the time. <laughs> so yeah. Well, like um, when they, I, yeah, in the metal, understanding, when they I think flashback like, also. Yeah, like it's almost like some version of previous stories have probably happened in some capacity, right, right, but like right. the details always change. So. Yeah. I did, uh, my sister has not seen half of the like important Marvel movies, mm-hmm. uh, and we watched the Infinity War trailer, and she was like, well, that's cool, but I don't know who half those people are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we're watching... Uh, like she hadn't seen Winter Soldier or Civil War or any oh, of man, the these like are these yeah. are the ones that you need to watch kind of things. So we've been watching those. We just watched Civil War a couple of nights ago and I noticed for the first time that the um I can't remember her name, something Woolard uh, actress in the movie. She was in Star Trek First Contact, uh also. She's the lady that stops Tony Stark at the elevator and says, like, You killed my son. Here's a mm. picture of him to remind you. She is also in Luke Cage as a completely different character. Oh, wow. That's like the main villain lady. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's huh. it's kind of like I looked that up like, has anyone else noticed this except for me? <laughs> and then apparently she's like one of 10 or so actors in the MCU that have just played multiple people. Wow. Oh, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Like people in, who pop up in like Agents of Shield or something have like a minor. Yeah, role. that's kind of what I'm thinking is maybe yeah. they're they're less obvious than that one. But like, I wonder if anyone's come up with some sort of kind of fan theory about it, like it's the same person or something. But it, it probably like doesn't work. You're I that person. <laughs> yeah, I wonder <laughs> if it, all this timeline stuff we've been doing. Uh, it has seeped into my viewing of any other yeah. TV show, <laughs> and so like. Uh, I'm watching Spongebob in reverse so that it gets better over time. Uh, <laughs> and we're, I'm finally back into like season one stuff. That's like the good episodes. And we just watched, uh, uh this probably isn't season one. I don't even know the seasons of Spongebob, but it's the, we just watched like the episode where he thinks robots are taking over the world and Mr. Krabs is a robot and all that stuff. <laughs> and, not the navy and uh, <laughs> uh there's there's a couple points in there where he was like every once in a while they'll be like yeah not since a year ago when this happened or like last sunday when this happened i'll be like oh i gotta i gotta take notes i got <laughs> but it doesn't matter. like it's just making me want to do a spongebob oh, timeline yeah, but i probably should not do that because there's no. like hundreds of episodes nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well that's crazy maybe someday yeah. I watched two things. I watched Batman versus Two Face, which right, was a really cool a animated movie. That. It's um the last one Adam West did before <coughs> he died. Mm-hmm. So Adam West, Burt Ward are back as Batman and Robin, Julie Newmar as Catwoman, and William Shatner, um, Captain Kirk is playing Two Face. Right. Yeah. And it's a really crazy movie. Um, I like that Harvey Dent is just modeled to look like yeah. you know, a young William yeah. Shatner. He looks like just he almost like looks Shatner. exactly like the like Star Trek animated series mm-hmm. Captain Kirk. So that's pretty cool. It's a really silly movie. Like there's um, 
you know, like Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne are like, oh, yeah, you're my best friend. Like, uh, of course, I, I want to help you. You're my best friend. And Burt yeah. Ward, Old like, chum. Dick Grayson. <laughs> yeah, Dick Grayson's like, no, he's not your best friend. He's never been around. Like, he's never here. Like, who is this guy? Like, you're not best friend. Oh, friends. that's funny. Yeah. So there's like <laughs> yeah, a little never bit seen of a, him in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Meta. <laughs> a little bit of tension yeah. there. And then, like, Aunt Harriet. You remember how Aunt Harriet was, like, living in the Wayne Manor with right. them? And, yeah. like, so she's always like, oh, you two young bachelors going off on your fishing trips wink wink like she's always like alfred like you know they're they're doing each other like and it's that's alfred's funny they, they probably never yeah is yeah, that something so they did in the old series or is that no, something from the new movie i think it's just the new movie well it was okay this i was one gonna say and, i don't think and return of the that. cape crusader they did it it's in both of them she's always oh. talking about their fishing trips uh, <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah, that's actually kind of an interesting <laughs> viewpoint on that. Like, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson are always just disappearing for hours or days at uh-huh. a time. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, but we'll, yeah, check, man, we'll check that book. Animated uh, movies book? are just crazy. They like escalate and they get super just out over the top and weird. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to watch that. So, like, the first one has a bunch of time travel, and this one just has like. Just crazy supervillain science experiments. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. funny. Well, like, like Harley apparently Quinn you like get hit by this industry. evil acid, and you yeah Harley Quinn's in it for a second. Yeah, and yeah. so is Hugo Strange and like a couple of the '60s like B-list villains like mm-hmm. uh, Bookworm and King Tut actually have a lot to do. So, but is you can still see classics. Um, yeah, actually, I think Egghead is in there for a second. That's my um, favorite. <laughs> yeah, but then like Joker, Penguin, Riddler, like Catwoman, mm-hmm. all the the classics are still there too so yeah that's that's what i also saw freedom fighters the ray the uh uh, six episode thing on cwc you can watch the little thing it's it's on there um the gist of it is it's about the ray and black condor and like the regular arrowverse so it's like the one with arrow and flash the earth they Mm -hmm. live on so but like the crossover was set in earth x so yeah. you still see stuff from Earth X, like uh, the Ray and the Freedom Fighters are all there, and like this version of the Freedom Fighters has Black Condor, the Ray, Red Tornado, uh, Dollman, and Phantom Lady, and so okay. they're all fighting against the Nazis there, and like Overgirl and um, and the evil version of Arrow and Flash, but. This Flash actually might be Barry Allen instead of the reverse Flash ever thawne. Yeah, which is I, I, a little I noticed in like yeah. the trailers and stuff that there was oh there's there's backwards Earth X mm-hmm. versions of all the main characters, but then in the in the actual crossover it was reverse it's, Flash. So I don't know yeah, what happened yeah. to the. Me neither. It's kind of hard guy. to say. <laughs> but long yeah. story short, uh, it's about Black Condor and the Ray from the regular universe, and they're dating. Ray hasn't come out to his parents because they're really conservative, mm-hmm. and so. There's like that, but then also the Ray from Earth X ends up crossing over into their universe, kind of putting the regular universe Ray on a path to become a hero. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of there's multiple versions of him, and hmm. that's the gist of it. Weren't there? Aren't isn't Ray Tyrrell like the second Ray or something in the comics? Yeah, his dad was the Golden yeah. Age one, okay. but it's changed a little bit now because the Ray's been in Rebirth a little bit. He's one of the main characters of the JLA series. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if there's been a Golden Age Ray <laughs> in this current continuity. But, yep. Well, cool. Yeah, I wish I had more in to, <laughs> to put into this segment. but That's cool. That's uh, all I got. Yeah. 
I'm sure people are tired of listening to our voices by this point anyway. <laughs> well, so, uh, yeah, I guess we'll yeah. wrap that up. Wrap this whole Sounds thing good. in a nice little Christmas bow. Uh, I hope everyone had a nice holiday that's listening to this. We uh, Right now, it's it's 2018 now, and... Uh, no, but it's for not. For us, it's for us. It's still December twentieth. So, <laughs> well, uh, are we releasing this one on like the day? Um, yeah, maybe New Year's Day. It might be the first. Yeah, New Year's Day. Wow, Happy New yeah. Year's, Happy New Year's <laughs> everybody. Ted, Ted, Ted is uh, Jumanji, uh, Robin Williams. What year is it? <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, you can That's... contact us at info at watchtowerdatabase dot com. Or you can, uh, we're on social media at DCAU Watchtower. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, our webcomic, Legacies of the DCAU, you can find at legaciesdcau.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? We got a Patreon. Yeah, we do. That's patreon.com slash JTS Entertainment. That's our sort of coverall studio y thingy. That uh, if you go there and you're like, oh, whoops, I thought this was Watchtower Database. It is. That's the answer. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can look at all the cool things you can get for giving us your, your nice little pennies and stuff. Uh, but honestly, even like the smallest amount really helps us out. So please, please, please. It's it's 2018. <laughs> where Your New Year's resolution is to uh, any YouTube channel that you go, oh, that's pretty cool. Check if they have a Patreon because they yeah. they need it just as much. <laughs> Support independent <laughs> artists. Everyone's doing their yeah. Everyone's doing their art thing. And they mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, thank if you are a patron and you're listening to this, thank you very much for that. And uh, we will see y'all in the next episode in a couple of weeks. Every other Monday is when this thing happens. Uh, enjoy good. whatever happens between now and then. Have a good 2018 going forward. I'm going to stop talking now because otherwise I'll just keep talking forever. Okay, bye. Bye.